0: Amen. Welcome to Rock Point Church. If you are a visitor this morning or a regular attendee, I'm so glad that you're here uh, to worship with us today. Uh, If you are a regular attendee, I'm probably a different face than what you expected to see today. Uh, Hopefully a more attractive one. I don't know, Um, just quick introduction. My name is Austin Rhodes. I have the privilege of serving with the student ministry here at Rock Point Church. I've been serving on staff here for a little over four years now have loved it. Um, I am married. I've uh, been married for about two and a half years. Have a picture. I'm a real person, real life. I do exist. There's uh, my, my wife up there. Uh, yeah, I know what you're thinking. She's out of his league. You are correct. She is out of my league. She's awesome though. We are half of a power couple and we live life together. Uh, just, you know, um, in marriage and, and as we've you know, been growing together, you know, there's times we have conversations and just re- reflect on life, what we do, what we do well, what we don't do so well. And um, as we enter into the end of the year, it's kind of a natural time for those conversations, right? And, and me being an analytical, kind of my thought is, hey... What's bad about life? Just real pessimistic. So that's kind of me. And so I'm like, what do we not do well in life? And before we got there, we did say, well, what do we do well? And us in marriage, as we reflect and evaluate, I think we live content lives. Uh, My wife and I, we're both very content people. We're happy people uh, with where we're at, what we do. And we kind of have some contentment about us. But kind of the the double-edged sword with that. One of the things that uh, we were talking the other day that we don't always do so well is set goals. You know, it's kind of, uh, I feel like it kind of goes hand in hand sometimes. And right now is just the worst time of the year to not be a goal-oriented person. All right, it is just terrible. Everyone's like, new year, new me, 2020 vision. And I'm like, you're going to not fulfill your New Year's resolution. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. Uh, but everyone's in this process of setting New Year's resolutions, setting goals, and, and even Christmas Day, I got up Christmas morning, I pull up an app on my phone that kind of collects a few different uh, news resources and puts it together. And almost every story is like 2020, 2020, New Year's resolution, this is what you need to do. This is what your 2020 should be about. And I'm looking through them and it's like, it's good things, Uh, things that aren't all bad. Some of it's losing weight, you know, great. You know, lose some weight. Some people are like, I'm gonna find myself in 2020. I don't know what that means, but sure, go find yourself. And then uh, my favorite are the ambitious high schoolers. It's like high school boy, 2020, I'm going to get a girlfriend. Uh, So some people have unrealistic expectations for 2020, (laughs) some goals, uh, but everyone says they set these goals, set these expectations. They're looking forward to a new year. And as I'm looking through it, reading these articles, looking at what, what everyone's pursuing i 'm left a little bit wanting when I look and see what people are, are anticipating and excited about for the next year I'm like man it just it doesn't seem like it 's going to satisfy it doesn't seem like it 's quite there it doesn 't seem like it quite hit the mark and as, as I, I think about goals, I always go back to a, a, a para-church organization called Teen Life uh, that I've worked with in the past. And, and kind of what they do is they, they go into different schools and, and counselors identify at-risk students and you do what's called uh, forward-thinking solution-oriented support groups. And essentially that's a way to get around saying the word counseling. Uh, but you, you sit down with students and you, you just ask questions. You know, uh, what would look different about your life if something changed? oh well, what would be the different? What would be the difference? How, how could small changes, incremental changes in your life make larger long-term impact? And so this morning as we are anticipating a new year, I want to ask three questions. They're just kind of, uh, what if questions? What if our lives looked a, a little bit different? What if we, we made a, a little tweak, a, a little change And how could God use that in the upcoming year? So if you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. We'll be in 1 Peter this morning, chapter two. As you're turning to 1 Peter, a little Background. Uh, First Peter is called First Peter because there's a second Peter. It is how the Bible works, a beautiful thing. Uh, It is written by the Apostle Peter. We see that in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So it's written by um, Jesus' right hand man, Peter. Uh, And he's writing to believers in a context of suffering. So he identifies his audience. It's the different people located, scattered throughout Asia Minor. That's modern day Turkey. And they're experiencing some suffering, some persecution. And he's writing to them to identify. This is how to live the Christian life in the context of what you're going through. In chapter one, he uh, gives, it gives two main thoughts. The, the first main thought from Peter in chapter one is just an encouragement. Uh, Peter writes to encourage the believers uh, of their salvation. He says, as we saying earlier, he says, you have a living hope. Your salvation rests on a living hope. We have a resurrected Savior. And regardless of the suffering, the persecution, what you're experiencing, uh, you have a salvation, a living hope. And I want you to be encouraged by that. And the second thought in the first chapter of Peter is uh, it's, it's a call. It's a call to holiness, a call to holy living. So he says, if you have this salvation, if you have a living hope in Jesus Christ, then your life must look different. If you have a relationship, then you are called to holiness. He actually quotes Leviticus 11. Uh, Leviticus 11, uh, the Lord, he tells Israel to be holy because I am holy. So God's saying, because I am holy, you as my people should also be holy. And then Peter takes that, he repeats that in chapter 1 for the church. He says, because God is holy, you as a Christ follower should also live a life of holiness. So Peter, he's setting up, he's saying, you know, you have a salvation, you have a hope in that salvation. And because you have the salvation, this living hope, your life should then look different. You should also then be holy. Now we pick up in chapter 2. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Peter writes, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So coming out of this call to holiness, this call to holy living, Peter has then this this urging for Christ's followers. And the first one, it comes in a negative form and fashion. He tells us what you must not look like. He says, this is what you don't do. This is what you're not about. And he gives this list, put away all malice. So any wickedness, any evil in your thought or practice, put that away. That no longer defines you or is a characteristic of you. He says, put away all deceit. So any falsehoods or uh, lack of truth or deception, put that away. says, any hypocrisy, any... uh, any standard that you're placing on someone else that you're not gonna hold to yourself. And you Don't do that. That's not what you're about. Put away all envy, any jealousy in your heart or in your life. That's not what you're about anymore. Any slander, any negative talk uh, about someone else uh, to their face, behind their back, whatever it is, put these things off. This does not define you anymore. He says, if you're called to be holy, this is what you don't do. And it starts with this negative, but uh, the encouragement is this is not the command of the passage. These are important things. It is important things that we uh, are, are putting off all of these sinful ideas and practices, but, but Peter's heart comes in the next verse. His command comes in the next verse. It says like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So yes, put off all these things, and that's important, but the imperative, the command that you must do is to long for the pure spiritual milk. That word long, it's the command, is to desire, to crave something. And Peter, he gives this image of an infant. And sometimes in scripture, we see infancy being used as a a descriptor. And, you know, Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians chapter three. And when he talks about an infant, he says, you're immature. And so you have to have milk because you're not ready for solid food. So it's this idea of you needing to grow in your maturity, but that's not how Peter uses it. Peter uses this idea of infancy to indicate desire, to indicate desire or longing, I got a good picture of this over the Christmas holiday. Uh, I went to see family. I have a cousin uh, who has three kids. The youngest two are twins. Their names are Gracie and Owen, and they're adorable. Just so you know, they're cute. Uh, Gracie is the cutest. I, she's cuter than your kid or your grandkid. Whoever you're with, I'm just saying. I'll fight you outside. She's adorable. Uh, I'm not saying your kid's ugly. I'm just saying Gracie's cuter. And so, you know, she'll cuddle you. She's so chill. She's awesome. When she gets excited, she does a little like shimmy like this. Uh, She can't dance, but she's cute. Uh, And, and, you know, they're just adorable kids. And they're about 12 months old. And where they're at in their development of life, they can't verbally communicate what they want. They, They can't verbally tell you, this is what I want. This is why I want it but they still show you what they want. They're gonna walk towards the things that they want. They're gonna crawl towards the things they want. They're gonna lean. They're gonna reach out. They're gonna grunt at what they want. And sometimes that's good or bad. And and sometimes if they're wanting something they shouldn't have, you can plot a shiny red ball and then they get distracted and they go to the next thing. And it's great, but then there's other times where they can't be distracted. Uh, There are certain times when an infant It's going to have a craving and a desire that's just so single-minded, so overwhelming that they are inconsolable until they have it, oftentimes with food, right? If a child is hungry, they're going to grunt, cry, groan, reach until they are satisfied with milk. And this is the picture that Peter gives he says, "Is a Christ follower, what you are commanded to do is have this reaching, groaning, crying appetite, this craving, this desire for the Lord. He says, you, you long after God and you long after God. And when you do and you're fed with spiritual milk, then you're grown up into your salvation. That's not to say that you're like partially saved, but there's a maturing process that, that does happen. You, you long for God. In verse three, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter does this all through this text, quoting Old Testament passages. This is Psalm 34, uh, where David writes, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And what Peter is saying is that if you have tasted and seen the goodness of God, then it's impossible for you not to have this longing, urging, craving desire to experience more of him. So Peter calls us to desire God. So my first question this morning is, what is it that you are desiring? What is it that you crave? What is the the, the single-minded thing that you need to experience the satisfaction of and you're inconsolable until you attain it? I think for, for some of us, it might be success. For some of us, we are, we are driven. We have this desire, this longing, this craving for success. To have a successful career, to climb the ladder, to build the company. And that, that, that's what we're driven by in everything. That is our heart's greatest desire. For some of us, it's possession. It's a little more square footage in flower mound. It's a second house. <laughs> it's the second location. The, uh, it's the, the new model, the updated year. For some of us, it might not be our success, it might be the success of our kids. What we crave for, what we long for, what we desire is to see our kids live happy, successful lives free of failure and hardship. Some of you might say it's influence. What I desire is to control the circumstances and the people around me and I'm single-mindedly set on that. I crave that. I long for it. I yearn for it. Or maybe it's just security, comfort. You're happy to live out on the, the 401k, the IRA, social security, you've put in your time, you've done your dues. And you're like, I just want to, uh, I just want comfort. What is, it, what is it that you desire, that you long for, that you reach for? And how would 2020 look different if that desire was shifted to the Lord? Or if it's already on the Lord, what if uh, just a a little more yearning, a little more reaching, a little more longing after him? I'm not going to stand up here and and tell everyone to uh, long after the Lord and Rock Point as a church, we moved to Africa together. Uh, But but what about just the incremental changes, the, the small things that we can do in daily life? What if for you, desiring the Lord in 2020 means I'm waking up five minutes earlier to spend five more minutes longing after God this year through scripture, through prayer. What if it's changing your entertainment habits? Binge watching is something everyone does, right? Netflix, Judge Judy, depending on your stage of life, you do it, it it happens. But but what if you change your entertainment habits And, and, and one less show and... 30 more minutes of of longing and craving and desiring the Lord. What if it's changing your drive time, making kids put phones away and sharing prayer requests in the car and praying for one another as you go from place to place, listening to worship music, listening to scripture on the radio instead of whatever else happens. What if it's instead of going out for a meal, you take food to go And you sit around a dinner table and just share life together, pray for one another and have a family devotion. How could life look different in 2020 if you had that shift, that change, that desire single-mindedly on the Lord? So Peter calls us to desire God, to crave for him. Verse 4, he continues. So the honors for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So verses 4 to 8, Peter kind of transitions and he uses this mixed metaphor of stones and priesthood. And he says, so as you, as Christ's followers, as you come to Christ, the living stone, Living stone there is a call back to the resurrection, call back to the living hope that we have, that our savior is living, that he was rejected by men, reflecting back on the passion, the fact that, that he was not accepted by his own people, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, that Jesus is the anointed one chosen by God. He said, you also are being built up as a spiritual house. It says, you as Christ followers are collectively being built up together as a house, a spiritual house, a dwelling place to be a holy priesthood. So there's that mixed metaphor that you're both the house and the priest within the house to offer spiritual sacrifices. So for the purpose of worshiping God, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Christ Jesus. And then Peter again goes through a couple of Old Testament passages. He says, for it stands in scripture and he quotes Isaiah 28. And Isaiah 28, uh, it's Isaiah prophesying to Israel, the tribe of Ephraim. And, and they're kind of having this turning point in life. Do I, do I trust in God or do I trust in the surrounding nations and armies? And he says, if you trust, if you trust in the one that God chooses, then you will not be put to shame. He says, but those who don't believe, they reject the cornerstone. This is a quote from Psalm 118. That again, it's, it's are you going to trust others or are you going to trust God's chosen? Verse, verse 8, again, another quotation, Isaiah chapter 8. It's a call that when you pursue God, some people will view God as a stumbling block, a rock of offense, because they will not accept and obey his word. So it's kind of this uh, building up that you are a people with a purpose of worship to trust in God and not the other things that are being offered to you in the world. And one of the unique things about this passage is that when you look at verses 4 to 8 overall, it's not individual. Uh, There's nothing in verses 4 to uh, 8 that's written for an individual. It's written for people. It's written for people. It's about the, the, the people of God, the community of God. And this is something that's a struggle for us a lot of times within our faith tradition, especially where we live, right? We're, we're Protestants. So we really value that personal relationship with the Lord, which is necessary, right? That is salvation, but we really value the individual. We're American. So we value the individual. We live in Firemount, Texas. So we are very individualistic. I think there's a perfect picture of how individualistic we can be by looking at the neighborhoods in this area. I grew up in North Carolina. And, you know, when you go to a friend's house in North Carolina and go to a neighborhood, if you want to play tag, like it's free reign. You can go wherever you want. You can go through anyone's backyard, jump in anyone's koi pond. It doesn't matter. Like you can hide wherever you want and you just go and you, wherever you want to be at, you can be. If you do happen to come upon a fence in North Carolina, it's gonna be a low fence, typically chain link or something that you can see through. And the sole purpose of the fence is just to keep whatever's designed to be in the fence in the fence, It's to keep the dog, the child, whatever, inside the parameters. Yet, when I moved to Texas, especially this area, I was introduced to the privacy fence. Yes, the privacy fence. Everyone in Texas has a privacy fence. So it's like, not only do I not want you to step on my grass, I don't want you to look at my grass. (laughs) Don't even think about my grass, right? I want as much privacy, I'm talking, I want 10 feet, super tight planks. I don't want you to see my grass. It's gonna mess up with the way that it grows. And so, you know, it's just this private, and granted the lots are small, and everything's on top of each other. But, you know, it's this, this picture of my, my individual area, my, my spot, my space. It's where I live. And there's danger in that in the Christian life. There's danger in that individualism. You know, Peter's not writing, He's saying, you are all being built up. There's a, a community aspect of this. And we see this danger multiple times in scripture. One, uh, we see it just in how God designed us. The way that God designed us, Genesis chapter two, we were not designed to be alone. The first thing that God says is bad within scripture is Adam being alone. The isolation, we're not designed to live in isolation. In 1 Corinthians 12, we see Paul writing about the church. It's not you live out your private faith and I live out my private faith and everyone's happy. No, it is the church together is built up, has a purpose, a role, a function. uh, Everyone, every part, every piece, every member. It's not this isolated act where we segregate and separate from one another. It's a collective activity. And so my, my second question this morning is, what would it look like for you to dive into Christian community in 2020? How would your life be different if you prioritized Christian community in the year 2020? I think some of us, uh, we, we get a little hesitant. We get a little hesitant of uh, jumping in now, when you talk about small groups, and we could, we could jump into a small group, uh, that's scary because then other people will know my, my thoughts, my beliefs, my actions, right? I'm held accountable for the, the thoughts that I have and, and what I do because the reality is when, when I live in isolation, When I live in isolation, I can have whatever thoughts I want and behave in any way that I want, and there's no one to tell me I'm wrong. I'm a sinful human being with a twisted heart, a twisted mind, and I can rationalize about anything that I want by myself. But when I'm sharing life with other people and I have to share my thoughts, share my life, share my actions, there's a check, there's a balance there. And There's a cost. You have to give time. You have to give time to live in community. For some of you, that might mean you take your kid out of the seven activities and drop it to six, so you get one night back a week, right? You, you, you cut something out, you, you reprioritize, you shift, you sh- and shape how you do things. It might be hey, your kids are only in activities half of the year, not full year round so that you can serve in the church, that you can dive fully into Christian community and serve here, serve in the local body, serve in the community, serve elsewhere. But what would 2020 look like? How would 2020 be different if you prioritized Christian community? So Peter calls us to desire God. He says, desire God. He calls us to live and worship together as a community. Then we continue in verse nine. Peter writes, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So uh, Peter continues writing and he identifies who the people of God are. He gives them identifying labels. And again, each one is uh, connecting back to uh, Old Testament and fulfilling how the church is now God's people. Verse 9 says, but you are a chosen race. It's an allusion to Isaiah 43. In Isaiah 43, uh, God's calling out his people. And he's saying, I'm going to create a lineage of people who are my own. You are chosen race in the blood of Jesus. You're now in the lineage and the adoption of Christ. Second, he says, you are a royal priesthood. Exodus 19 says, God says, I am building a people group, a nation to be intermediaries between me and a lost and sinful world. And again, we have that same role. We have that same role, that same priesthood by the the means of the gospel to call a lost and dying world and, and point them to God. Next, a holy nation. This is uh, Exodus 24. Exodus 24, God calls his people. He says, you're to be a a holy nation by your obedience to my word. And so he says, uh, my people are identified as holy because they obey and adhere and live in obedience to what I have called them to. A people for God's own possession. Again, Exodus 19, we go back there and God, God says he is, he's ruler, he is sovereign, he is creator of all. But when he talks to Israel, he says, I have a special relationship and possession of you. And now Peter says, you as the church also fall into that. You are God's own possession. He says, verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is from Hosea chapter two. In the book of Hosea, what we see is it's a, uh, it's a story of infidelity. It's a, it's a story of, uh, of Israel running from God, committing egregious acts against God, turning from him, but the promise of a restored relationship. And so it's the same thing in verse 10. He's saying, you are the people who committed egregious acts against God, but there's restoration now between you and God. And so we read through that, just the adjectives, what an encouragement that you are chosen, royal, a holy nation, God's people, and you have received his mercy. But the identity of this people, the identity of God's people is connected to purpose. In verse 9, it says that God has called this people out, called his people out, that they may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It says you have this status is chosen and royal and holy and his own for a purpose of proclaiming who God is. It says the primary function, the reason of your existence, why you are here is to speak of your savior. God is the one who saved us. How can we not speak of his attributes? How can we not speak of his actions? He says, you have this status for the purpose of proclaiming to others, the excellencies of God, every characteristic, every attribute, you can, you proclaim who he is. He has called you from darkness to light. We share of the gospel in the way that God has transformed us. We cannot help but speak of who He is and what He has done. And so, my final question this morning what would your 2020 look like if you lived with that same purpose? What would your 2020 look like if your resolve, your purpose uh, was to proclaim the excellencies of God to the people around you and share of the work he did in your life to bring you from darkness to light? I think there's, there's two difficulties in this. For, for some of us, it's uh, we, we only surround ourselves with Christians, when we are here and then we go out into our job and normal life, normal world, there's this block between connecting our faith and our job and our career and the world that we live in. And we see them as two separate things and there's this hesitancy. Uh, There's this reticence to, uh, to, to share of who our God is. And then on the flip side of that, there's some of us, like myself, we're, we only know Christians. <laughs> we, we eat, sleep, breathe within our Christian community. And we've isolated ourselves so much that, that there's no one that we have a relationship with that we can share of this good news that hasn't already heard it, accepted it, been involved in it. Man, what a difference 2020 would be for us personally, for Rock Point, for Flower Mound. If everyone at this church just committed to proclaim the excellencies of God to one person, to one person in 2020. We have 3,500 individuals that call this church their home. That's 3,500 people who would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we all just committed to one person to proclaim of who our God is and what he has done in our heart and our life, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to know all the answers. We just have to share of what God has done in bringing us from dark to light. What if we went with for two people or three? But what a difference it would make in 2020 if that was our purpose. If our next year wasn't evaluated by the number on the scale or the bank account or whatever finding yourself means, but in 2020, we have a desire, a craving for God that we prioritize Christian community and that we live with a purpose to at least share the excellencies of our God with one other person. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace, your goodness. God, that you have called us out of darkness and into light. And God, I pray that as another year comes upon us, that uh, we don't settle for things that have uh, just a temporal impact that don't stretch any further than this lifetime. But Lord, that we have a heart, a desire, a craving for you, for your people, and for those who you are calling to be your own. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, and pray this in Jesus' name, amen.